The job. The stress. We are, there is an active shooter working at Douglas. Multiple gunshots are being fired. Politics. Politics. Pressure. Pressure. Get out of here. We got a guy with a long rifle. We don't know where the hell he's at. Fear. Survival. Control 765, I need the radio for a minute. Be advised, we are taking fire from a very high floor. We believe it's possibly coming from the Mandalay Bay. And we get it. And we have to do better. The truth behind the badge. Presented by the Team South Florida Law Enforcement Charity. One of the things with our organization is we love to highlight the good leadership. We love to highlight the strong leaders, great examples, etc. Unfortunately, more times than not, especially in the last couple of years, it seems our fellow brothers and sisters are finding themselves working in environments where they either have cowards for leaders, people that make political decisions, people that pander. And one of the biggest challenges of being a police officer these days is you never know what situation you're going to find yourself in. And you just have to hope and pray that when you do the right thing, you have the backing and the support of your community, of your agency, of your command staff, of the local politicians and prosecutors. That isn't always the case. So go ahead, introduce yourself, and why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on? Um, yes, so hi everyone. My name is Christina. I'm the wife of um, Matthew Dagus. We're here in California, um, and about 16 months ago, our, our lives were turned upside down. Um, my husband was on duty. This was just two days after the George Floyd incident. And um, my husband was working a trolley enforcement detail with other officers from his police department. Um, so he was literally assigned to, to be somewhere. In this case, it was a trolley station. Um, and they were on a, a special saturation detail because in San Diego, the trolley station is a really high crime area, right? Um, so they were there with the, the directive to contact everyone and check for, um, check for trolley fare. And so my husband was doing his job the way he was trained and he got involved in a very low level use of force that was cleared by his department. But as many of you are aware these days, uh, bystanders with cell phones are everywhere. And so um, a, just a bystander video of his low level use of force um, went viral because someone posted it online with the hashtag George Floyd. Um, and that kind of touched off 16 months of, I mean, it's been a war. If I could put it in one word, it has been a war, a chess game every single day. Um, and so we've been, I've been um, speaking out as a police wife um, against just this demonization of police that we're seeing happen across the country. Um, and certainly in my husband's case, um, and really advocating for the truth to come out because I feel like like you were saying just a moment ago, it's like you you do the right thing, you know you're a good person in your heart, and it's almost like the truth doesn't matter, right? If it's a viral video and if it's a white police officer, any narrative will fly. Um, so I've started speaking out to get the truth out there and to set the record straight about what happened on May 27th. So um, we've been warmly welcomed by the law enforcement community across the country, and it's friends like you that have um, given me a platform to speak, and I'm just so grateful because there's a lot of truth about this case that just hasn't um, hasn't gotten the same attention that the clickbait headlines seem to get around policing. Well, you're absolutely right. And it's our honor to help give you a little bit of a voice. It's kind of cool. You're being from California and Florida, and we've got a lot of supporters in Florida and then in California and in between us. It's nice for people to be able to hear what's going on and hear it from you 
I don't want to jeopardize too much of the case and I don't want to get into too many specific details if we can't discuss that, but I want to break this down a little bit. So once again, I have an example where a police officer is directed to go to a specific area. There's a reason for that. That happens in pretty much every single law enforcement organization across the country. There's a high crime area, crime is taking place, things are taking place. We want police officers to go and address that. So your husband did just that. And I watched, I watched a good amount of the video. I, I mean, uh, you know what? I'll let you take us through it and I'll, I'll just break it down in peace when I feel like I need to get, get in there. So start from the top where I just left off. Yes. So my husband was assigned to be at the trolley station. It's a very high crime area. So him and other officers were there with the directive from leadership to talk to everyone and check for a trolley pass. That was their job. So it was um, my husband, Matthew, detained um, a subject for not having a trolley pass. That's his job. That's what he was there to do. Um, and it was during that detention that the subject refused to provide their identification. They attempted to walk away from Matthew. They smacked right. Matthew. Once again, we have, if the person being contacted, and this, this always gets forgotten by the media, so that's why it's important I wanna mention this. If the subject cooperated, we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation. Correct, so it's an enforcement moment. If, the, if any person at the trolley station doesn't have a trolley fare, it's, a, it's an educational moment. The cops say, hey, just so you know, uh, you have to have a trolley fare to be on this property in the future, you're free to go about your day. So it would have been a 30 second interaction had this person just been reasonable, given their name um, and complied with what my husband was telling him to do. But um, instead, the subject resisted. They were combative. And it was due to their actions alone that that very routine law enforcement contact had to escalate to include a low-level use of force for my husband. So um, like I said, the subject would not provide their identification. They tried to walk away during a detention. Um, they smacked an officer's hand, my husband's hand, and then they resisted arrest. Um, so again, because the subject was combative and non-compliant, um, my husband used his hands to push the subject into a seated position until other officers arrived. Um, and like I said, all it took was a bystander video of just that use of force portion of their interaction. Um, that was posted online with the hashtag George Floyd and, and it went viral. So, uh, you know, as if that's not crazy enough, there were immediate protests at our home that same night because of that video, because of that right. low level use of force. So, so hold on, we're gonna to get to that in a second. Let me touch on this use of force, this quote unquote use of force and a couple of key things that I wanna mention for those that are watching that are not law enforcement officers. 100% of the time, I think I can say that 100% of the time, using force never looks good. It never looks good. When you're watching it, when you're on watching it on camera, whether you're watching it in person, using force never looks good. It never looks okay. Now, when you talk about the use of force that was used in this case, and it's also important to mention that it was justified, by the way, the use of force board, the agency, everybody found it justified. So we're not even talking about that, yet that's the focus, thanks to the media and the videos and the social media. But we're talking about empty hand techniques. We're not even really talking about a full-out takedown. He literally escorted him, pushed him, however you want to phrase it. He used empty hands to push him to a seated position. Maybe, maybe a few more times there's some minor pushing here or there, but 
there was nothing more than that. So when you look at a use of force continuum, no matter what agency you're at, you have presence and then you end up going to empty hand techniques. It's so, so low. It's such a low level of force. And again, the only reason the force even needed to be applied is because of the subject's actions. Not only is he uncooperative verbally, but he's trying to stand up. He's trying to walk away. He's, I, from what I saw, I felt uncomfortable watching the video. He was in the officer's face. I mean, very close. Another thing with the body camera video that I want to mention, because this is very relevant too, body camera video is great, but it does not show everything. And I think far too often people rely on that. So just because you have an incident on camera, if I have the camera pointed this way and something's over here, you, you can't see what's going on over here. It doesn't mean that what's going on over here didn't happen. It's just, it's frustrating. So based on that nonsense, mm -hmm. what ended up happening to you, to your family, to your hat, the city? I mean, literally everything went up in flames. So as I was saying, um, there were immediate protests at our home that night. Strangers showed up at our house to live stream for justice. Um, our personal information was doxxed online. So our, our personal home address, our cell phone numbers, the addresses of our families. Um, and then, as I mentioned, this my husband's on-duty incident happened just two days after George Floyd. Um, so there was a larger protest that was planned in downtown San Diego to honor George Floyd. So when Matthew's on-duty incident happened, that protest got moved to Matthew's police department. Um, so that protest quickly devolved into arson and looting. Um, big buildings in La Mesa were burned down to the ground. There were big local businesses were vandalized. Um, so it very quickly became a politically charged incident. I think that city leaders emerged from the riots, literally cowering to the mob. They were terrified. Um, and they, I don't think they were in a position to lead or protect their city as we saw. Like I said, everything went up in flames. Um, so they very desperately made a plan to make Matthew their sacrificial lamb in an effort to quiet the mob and prevent future destruction to their city. And that's, that's what happens when you have weak-minded leadership. By contrast, we literally just shared a video from a local sheriff's office over here, and I'm damn proud of the sheriff because you know that there were going to be some people that had a question about the amount of shots that were fired. And the sheriff was very quick before anybody even asked questions. He said, my deputies got shot at. Here's the video. Here's what happened. You're damn right they fired those shots. And, and he backed his deputies. It would be amazing to work with that support. I agree. That's a leader. And that is a leader that the law enforcement community, especially in today's climate, desperately needs. In my husband's case, like we've talked about, it was a very low level use of force on the continuum, almost the very bottom. It was justified. Um, and I think, you know, the subject admits on body worn camera footage to pushing a police officer to pushing Matthew. That's what he was arrested for. I think the chief should have came out explained the trolley enforcement detail that my husband was there assigned to do. I think you should have acknowledged that my husband was, that the subject admittedly struck my husband. You cannot strike a police officer. You cannot resist a police officer. You cannot decide that a detention is over just because you want it to be over, right? You have to comply with police officers. You have to be reasonable. None of that happened. And instead of having strong leaders to stand up and have a conversation with the community about what really happened, they bowed to the mob and they tried to throw Matthew under the bus for political reasons. So that touched off, like I said, the last um, 16 months of our lives have just been 
constant agony. Um, they, right after their city burned down, they approached city leaders in La Mesa, um, approached Matthew with a, a six-figure offer to resign voluntarily. Because like I said, they wanted to quiet the mob and they wanted Matthew to resign voluntarily so they could tout to the community, look, the bad guy left when his use of force was justified. He didn't do anything wrong. He was doing his job as directed by command leaders. Um, so, you know, Matthew's biggest passion and purpose in life is being a police officer. So he knew he didn't do anything wrong. He knew his use of force was justified. And so he declined their offer um, to resign voluntarily. He declined a six-figure settlement offer. That's a lot of cash. And we are a young married couple. But my husband is principled. And he knew that to, to resign voluntarily would look like resigning in lieu of termination. And he didn't want to jeopardize his future career in law enforcement. So he said no. And the city leaders scolded him for being selfish um, and not seeing the greater good in resigning. And they told him, they made a veiled threat. They said, even if you were to be cleared for your use of force, we're committed to firing you by any means necessary. And that's exactly what they did. Now, you know what's, you know what's really frustrating is I've seen this happen different times across the country by officers. And one that rings a bell to me, I don't want to get too specific, but one that rings a bell to me was an officer was assigned to do proactive patrol in a specific area on the West Coast, as a matter of fact, not California. And he came across a prostitute who was loitering. She ends up physically resisting arrest. He ends up using force. And it became a very, very political issue. Uh, race was involved, gender was involved. And same thing, they kind of, hey, can you, can you resign? Can you take this? Can you settle with this? They just didn't want it. To, and they wanted to make it go away. And he fought it and fought it and fought it. So I give you a lot of credit. I give your husband a lot of credit. I think you have to stand for what's right. Um, something you said a, a minute ago, you're right. You can't resist a police officer. You can't slap a police officer. You can't decide when a detention is over. However, in today's society, it's like dealing with two-year-old children. If you discipline them for doing something wrong, they believe it's right. So in this particular case, the subject, I think, was appropriately charged. Let's talk about those charges. What happened to the charges? Was he found... Did that go to court? Was he prosecuted? Because it's on camera, he committed crimes. It's on camera. Um, the push is on camera. He admittedly tells my husband on body-worn camera later, look, the reason I pushed you is this. Um, but charges against the subject were immediately dropped. Can you believe that? Sadly, I can because you have, again, weak-minded leadership and cowards for prosecutors. Mm -hmm. this, this happens. You have a district attorney's office that you might, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll say it, it's corrupt. When you want to excuse criminal behavior for political reasons, that's corruption. That's not okay. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And, and my issue with it as a police wife in California is that what the DA did by dropping charges against the subject was openly condoning that it's okay to assault and resist and disrespect our police officers. And I'm not okay with that. And then as, as you know, or for those that are familiar with our case, the DA drops the charge against the subject and then files this unfounded charge against my husband. So it's like we have a DA in San Diego and her name is Summer Stefan that's coddling criminals, literally, while persecuting cops for political reasons. So, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I think we're in this politically charged time and climate for cops and it's really important that we hold our elected officials like, accountable, like this DA specifically, 
was elected into office on the promise of being pro-police and tough on crime. And it's like you have a, an incident like my husband's and she drops the charge against a suspect who admittedly assaulted and resisted police um, and then, you know, charges my husband with ridiculous charges. And it even gets better if you want to do a deeper dive. So Matthew arrested the subject for assault on a police officer on May 27th of last year. The DA drops those charges, as I just said. On August 20th, just three months later, that same subject led San Diego police on a felony car chase. So the, the guy crashed his car twice, totaled his car, and then bailed on foot and got away. And the cops found a big bag of weed in his car. And it's like, San Diego police send a report to the DA to file a felony evasion charge on that subject. And the DA declines to prosecute him once again. So you have this pattern of a DA who is protecting criminals while they're simultaneously pursuing an unfounded case against a cop who was cleared for use of force in a viral video. Um, so it's, I mean, we're, we're speaking out because we believe it's an abuse of discretion and we just can't believe that that's the precedent that the San Diego district attorney's office wants to set in San Diego, that cops are subservient to criminals in our community. Well, that's exactly what's being said. That's a statement that's loud and clear and that's being accepted. I, I'd like to see the unions take a stand and back you guys as well. Hopefully they are. Um, this has got to get more coverage, more attention. And there's really two, as far as I'm concerned, separate pieces to this whole thing. So one of the pieces is, and it needs to be addressed on its own merit, the lack of accountability for a criminal. You have documented evidence of this criminal, and I can say criminal because he's committing criminal acts, and you have a district attorney that is completely complicit in failing to prosecute him with support from Howard police leadership failing to move forward with the charges. So I can tell you right now, you're going to have a blame game over there. They're both going to point the finger at each other. If the police don't file the charges, then the DA can and so on and so forth. But there's no excuse for the second scenario where you just mentioned in August, guys involved in a felony car chase and they don't want to prosecute you because it will probably hurt his character in this case yeah and it's it's interesting too right because in california if you or i or in most states if we led police on a felony vehicle pursuit i'd be sitting in jail right now i'd be like the da would be filing charges against me and it's like why is it a different standard if it's someone who if it's politically convenient for the DA to look the other way and not charge this person, right? It's like the mission statement of San Diego's district attorney is like equal and fair justice in the eyes of the law. And here you have this clear like violation of, of that very mission that the DA was elected into office to carry out. So it's, it's outrageous. And like I keep saying, it just sets such a dangerous precedent in San Diego, but we're seeing this same behavior play out across the country where, you know, criminals know there's no, they know there are no repercussions for their actions. And so as a result, certainly in San Diego, but we're seeing it across major cities in the US, there is a spike in crime. Like up here in San Diego, there's like 130% increase in gang violence. Homicide is up 35%. And I believe it's because criminals are seeing situations play out like my husband's and their understanding is I can get away with it. There's no accountability here. Um, so it's really dangerous, not only for the safety of law enforcement, but it's dangerous for the overall safety of, of our of our community, for the citizens, right? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I'm looking at one of the comments we got. It says, lack of accountability and taking responsibility for their actions and the choices they make. Absolutely, 100%. So you have, you have lack of accountability 
with the suspect with his criminal actions. And I 100% agree with you. I think crime is, without a doubt, it's going to be relative to what's going on. So if the criminals know that there's no accountability, let me add on another piece to that whole thing. If I am your husband's coworker and I see this go on, why in the hell would I put myself in the same situation? So anybody that thinks that proactivity by the police at this agency didn't go down is a fool. I mean, there was a murder at this agency over the weekend, right? Like proactivity, certainly in La Mesa where my husband worked, but across San Diego, proactivity in policing is dead. And that is why we're seeing this increase in crime. It's because cops know even if they do the right thing, even if they do their job the way they are trained, they can still be politically persecuted by our DA, Summer Steffen. And so cops are spending their shifts hiding behind the Vons, the Albertsons, the grocery stores, watching Netflix on their phone because it is not safe to be a proactive police officer in San Diego and in much of the country right now. And that's so sad because if you're a citizen, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you care about safety, you want cops being proactive in your community. They are going to proactively um, prevent crime from happening um, and it makes our community safer. And yet we're demonizing police for doing the very thing that we need to keep our communities and our, our loved ones safe. So it's really tragic. Yeah, so in really simple terms here, if your husband never makes contact with this guy, we never have this conversation and everything is status quo and everything is fine. The other thing, the other piece to that is, if the pieces of the puzzle work the way they're supposed to work, so your husband makes contact with this guy, this guy resists arrest, he assaults your husband, he's charged, he's held accountable. Now it's a deterrence. I, I mean, this is, it's so, so simple and elementary, but because of politics and weak leadership, this is the situation we're in. All right, so let me transition now. What is your husband currently facing? He's facing some sort of charge with, the police report, correct? Yeah, it's laughable. That's why I'm smiling. Um, so they filed a felony charge against him for falsifying a police report, essentially because he used the word determined when they say he should have used the word believed. Um, it, it, and it's regarding some immaterial observation that he made about the subject before he was detained. And it has nothing to do with the reason the subject was arrested. And I say all that because you know, anyone with basic law enforcement information knows that this charge, falsifying a police report, has to be about something that is material to a detention or arrest. This observation that, that the city of La Mesa, the DA is taking issue with, is immaterial. The subject was detained for not having a trolley pass, and they were arrested for assaulting a police officer, and they admitted to assaulting a police officer. So it's like that's how desperate they are, right, right. to just make Matthew their sacrificial lamb, is they filed a charge against him that makes no sense will not stick. Um, and it's an embarrassment to the DA's office here in San Diego. Um, it's been a disaster for them, this entire legal process. Um, but they literally might take us to court in a couple months over, like I said, using the word determined when they said he should have used the word believed. And in San Diego, sorry, in California, the investigation process, if you will, the workplace investigation threshold allows for that. When it is politically convenient for police departments, city leaders to railroad an officer, because that's what's happening here, right? When it's politically convenient for them to do it, the system is designed for them to do it easily. And that's terrifying. You know, what's, um, what's amazing to me is how anybody can critique an officer's perception. So he used, he basically described how he felt to justify what he did. 
and somebody else is saying, no, you, you didn't see that or you couldn't have felt, it's so ludicrous. Two things on that note, you are 100% right. Um, one is the, the observation, right? The irrelevant observation that we're literally maybe going to trial over, um, that was corroborated by another witness on the scene. So it's fine if La Mesa wants to take issue with it, but it's an observation and it was corroborated by another witness. So calm down. And secondly, there is substantial case law that backs an officer's perception. And it's like all of that is being ignored by the district attorney's office, again, because they are trying to. So I mentioned that the district attorney is an elected official. They're up for reelection next year in 2022. And this video has gotten a lot of um, you know, a lot of traction. It was a viral video. And so it is this disgusting attempt by District Attorney Summer Stephan to pander politically, to try and appeal to these middle of the road voters that want to know she's a progressive DA. Um, because as, as we've seen, and, you know, as I've been um, shouting from the rooftops, this case is unfounded. This charge is unfounded. It is absolutely ridiculous. And we literally might go to trial over, like I said, saying the word determined versus believed. Um, so it's just there, there's like multiple layers to the ridiculousness of this charge. And, you know, we're not afraid to go to trial. Um, I, I, did, I don't think I mentioned earlier, but, you know, when this all started kind of like avalanching down, right, when like weak leaders and city officials and the DA all started conspiring to make Matthew this like villain that he's not, um, we were outraged. We were just like, we're good people. He was doing the right thing. His use of force was justified. How dare you come after his character and his integrity? And Matthew took a voluntary polygraph and passed it, of course, proving, further proving that there's no dishonesty happened in that entire interaction. And it's like, you know, the polygraph results just confirm what I already know to be in his heart. Um, but, you know, it's like, there you have it, the truth right there. And it's like the media headlines don't care about that. The angry mob don't care about that. Right. Because it doesn't fit their narrative. Their narrative you know, that it's that about polygraph. I remember reading something with the polygraph. They actually asked him if he was racist. Like yeah. that was part of they're, they're painting him. It's just huh. go ahead. Well, sorry. No, you're right. But that's like the whole like implication is that because he's a white officer wearing the badge that anytime he interacts with a person of color, he's got this inherent racist lens. And it's like, you know, had that subject been Asian, been Hispanic, been white, been purple, been green, they would have been stopped. My husband was assigned by the department to be at the trolley station to proactively talk to people to check for trolley fare. That's what right. he did. So this idea that like, you know, two days after George Floyd, you know, and that happens on one side of the country and, and we're all the way on the other side of the country in California that, you know, people are looking at policing through this lens of like, well, every white cop is a racist, evil murderer. Like, I take issue with that. You know, it's like there's a human behind the badge and, you know, the, the mob essentially like takes issue with a use of force that went down in this viral video that was justified. Um, and so it's like they, they, they like to just conveniently ignore that it's justified and kind of just go straight for his character. And it's like, one, you're wrong. And two, I'm his wife, like step off. If anyone's going to speak to what's in his heart and what, what belief system our marriage is based on, it's me. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of been, um, uh, baptism by fire is what we call this last year. And we actually, so this happened in, uh, his on duty incident happened in May of 2020. And we had just gotten married like a few months before. And so this is, this whole experience has really eclipsed our life as newlyweds. And it's like, we thought we loved each other before. We thought we were like rooted in our faith before. And this is just completely like, we always say we're forged in fire. Um, you know, it's not ideal. Um, we've been in constant agony for over a year and our, our lives and our normalcy has been put on hold, but 
it's made us like stronger than I think we ever even thought possible. And I feel like we've survived more in our first year of marriage than most people probably will have to endure in their lifetime. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of um, growth that's come over the last year. Without a doubt. All right. A couple quick things. Just real quick, let me have you clear this up uh, from the comments. Somebody wrote the chief fired him and then he quit. He, go ahead and just correct for the record what happened here. Uh, the, so I think what they're alluding to is that the chief fired Matthew and then the chief himself quit, um, which is okay. very interesting. I'll just kind of put this out there. So typically when a chief resigns, um, they give many months notice. I know in California, you have to give several months notice to like collect your pension. Um, but this chief gave just two weeks notice. And so I think personally, this is my opinion, is it's indicative of, um, you know, police departments here in California when they're police departments and not sheriff's departments, the head of those police departments, so a chief, um, is an appointed position. So they report up to a city manager, a city mayor, uh, a city council. So that structure is very important to be aware of because that means that basically the police chief is like on puppet strings, right? So the city manager, the mayor, and the city council all kind of control what the police chief does. So this viral video happens, the city burns down, um, the City manager, mayor, and city council in La Mesa are all very anti-cop, all very inept, all very scared, terrified of the mob. And so they basically direct, we think, the police chief to handle it a certain way. Um, and then he fires Matthew and quits two weeks later. And so that two-week notice is just very suspicious to me. There's obviously a lot going on there that I don't know about. But it just goes to show, like, you know, it doesn't, as a, as a police officer, as a law enforcement family, like, it's so important that you align yourself with an agency that, you know, has sound integrity that structurally it's set up in a way to support good officers, right? Like a sheriff's department is an elected official. They don't report up to a city manager the same way a police department does. So, um, you know, it, that's something that I learned through this process that I, I, I want other law enforcement families to know ahead of time because, um, you know, our eyes are open, that it matters. I will tell you on that note. So in Florida, for example, it really just varies um, just because you have a sheriff's office. I mean, we've seen, I, I remember one case um, a couple of years back where the deputy literally did every single thing correctly. In fact, he was recognized, commended for doing such a good job for saving lives. And then because of a Black Lives Matter, an election year, politics, the sheriff ends up going with the state attorney's office and then they end up going forward with charges and it was just a complete nightmare. And then because the charges were so serious, it was unpaid leave. And thank God, it was actually a very landmark case for us here in Florida. There was a very good attorney, Eric Schwartzreich was his name, and he represented the deputy and he got stand your ground to apply for all law enforcement officers in Florida. I'm not going to get into the whole stand your ground thing, but in, in short, the courts were looking at and the prosecutor was looking at stand your ground as, well, this applies to civilians. And the attorney was like, well, if it's good enough for civilians, why doesn't the same thing apply to law enforcement officers? And this actually went through several courts and long, long story short, it was a complete headache. But my advice to piggyback off your advice is you have got to look at the leadership and you've got to look at their track record. We are blessed in Florida with certain sheriffs and certain chiefs that continuously back their officers. And I think that's why they're in their positions for a while. Um, other comments I wanted you to address. I thought unions protect law enforcement officers. How does the dynamic work between the DA, the chief, who never, and the union? So how, 
How's the union in all of this with you guys? So they're a very small police department where my husband worked. Um, very, very small. So the union is very small and it's not some like it's not part of a larger national um, chapter or anything like that. So it's very small and it's led by people who are scared and who want to protect their own careers, right? People that are putting in for sergeant, lieutenant, all that. Um, so I think a lot of, we have a lot of support at the ground level um, at his police department, but I think a lot of people in positions of power there are scared because they've seen firsthand what the department is designed to do and willing to do um, to survive politically. So like I said, we have a lot of our uh, cop colleagues standing with us, but in terms of the union, like they obviously provide legal representation for Matthew's court case, which is great. Um, but in terms of like doing anything more than that, they're scared. All right, so two things now. One, I just wanna take a second and compliment you. I don't know how often you hear it, but you are so strongly and, and well-spoken and it's amazing for you to get out there and share his story. And I know you've been doing the best you possibly can on any platform possible to do that. And I think you're making a case for not just him, but for cops across the country. And I just wanna just convey that to you. I think you're, you're doing a great thing. I, I think it wasn't you that had to do it, but I hope you give yourself a little bit of credit because you're doing a phenomenal job. I really appreciate that. Um, and thank you. And honestly, it's like the, the law enforcement network across the country that is open their arms to us during this darkest chapter in our lives has been amazing. Um, I'm definitely a proud police wife and I've been in mama bear mode for the last 16 months, just setting the record straight about what's happening to my husband, but it's people like you um, who have kind of helped keep our heads above water and help us stay in the fight because we're learning. And what I want other law enforcement families to hear is that the system is designed to steamroll you. And once it turns on you, it is battle. And there are things that we've learned through this process that I didn't know, you know, when I first became a police wife. And so it's like, of course, I'm advocating for justice and victory for my husband. But beyond that, like, this is a bigger victory. Like I'm, we're trying to take this to a point where we can prevent it from happening to other law enforcement families. Because today it's, my husband and me that the angry mob is targeting that politicians are targeting but tomorrow you know next month next year it could be anyone listening to this interview it could be anyone who loves someone that's a cop um so i think it's really important that we just um stand together and make noise about how police are being wrongfully demonized and it's literally upending lives and it's making communities uh less safe i couldn't agree more with you uh hopefully you see the comment that i just pinned for you because it's absolutely true you are a hero and inspiration, somebody wrote, and it's Thank true. Thank you. That is so kind. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So I did a, I took a Facebook post that went viral not too long ago, and we incorporated several police wives, and they broke it down into a video. And one of the things that stuck with me was part of the post the, the police wife wrote, you robbed my husband of his passion. And we're at a dangerous point right now because hearing you describe your husband and his love for the profession, you can literally look at you and tell he's, he sounds like one of the good ones. He sounds like he's just showing up to work, doing his job, being proactive. Something has got to change in this country because you're continuing to see it. I mean, crime goes through the roof when this is what's going to happen. Police don't want to be policing right now. 
Yeah, it's almost, I'll use the word kind of like loosely, but it's almost like an epidemic, right? Because I think that police officers are being robbed of their passion. I think that we're seeing so many cops across the country resign or quit or lateral to more um, conservative areas. And again, they're not being proactive if they are staying on duty. And so crime is going up and it's, I think a threat that really um, it poses a risk to all of us. Um, so, but you're 100% right. My husband, um, gosh, his passion and purpose in life is policing. Um, he's made that very clear to me. And so many times you know, throughout this whole process, people ask him like, do you really want to get back in uniform? And his answer, I mean, he doesn't even miss a beat. His answer is always like, absolutely. I would do it right now if I could. Um, and I think that that's rare. And I think that that's admirable. And I think that you know, the mob doesn't get to dictate what's in a police officer's heart, right? And that's unfortunately what happened in my husband's case. And I think it's just so important for people to know the facts and to really seek the truth, because right now we're living in a time where, um, you know, these viral videos are completely devoid of, of context and people will rely on clickbait headlines to determine what happened or to determine like what's in someone's heart and it's in reality there's there's situational detail and there's so many layers to these police interactions and there's there's so there's police knowledge and tactics and training that all has to be taken into consideration when you're trying to analyze well what happened in this police interaction um and so you know i just i i want to guard against um people making like rushing to make a decision on these viral videos because as you've seen in my husband's character it literally can upend a police officer's life his career his livelihood his family's life like obviously we're a unit we're married him and i but it's like our families and our friends have been kind of drugged through this with us for over a year now and that is the consequence to these viral videos and people you know the the keyboard warriors that um you know are just so quick to to villainize someone for just doing their job oh 100 and you know you could play the other side of the coin to that too people are so quick to assume when they see one small tiny little clip that was the funny thing is not to make light of it but when i looked at your husband's video i was trying to see where it was and i was like that's that's it that's what we're talking about but then what i did i literally sat here and I took a clip of the suspect's demeanor, how he was talking to the police officers on the scene. Every other word was a curse. He was very, very verbally abusive and nasty. Now, could you imagine if all of these media outlets, if they showed that portion of the clip, we could come up with a dozen headlines, but they don't do that. That's, that's the frustrating thing. And to go back to uh, Goodfellas of Orlando put in here, I don't think they don't want to police it's there is so much against them that robs them of their passion and they have to be afraid to do a job. 1000%. And this right here, this video is living proof of why police officers these days have to be afraid to do their job. It, it's scary. It's sad. I would, I'm trying to think of how to say this and I'm just going to say it. More times than not these days, police officers don't have to be afraid of the criminals in the streets they should be more concerned with their administration and the political background of their city or county or jurisdiction and that is sad well said well said i think i naively as a police wife i always assumed that like the bad guys were in the street right that's the real threat to my husband and as i learned like the bad guys are in the streets they're in your department they're in your city council they're in your um, city leadership and that's something we unfortunately had to learn the hard way but to anyone watching this video or anyone who is familiar with our case, like learn 
learn from what's happening to us. Like do not align yourself with a police department that has a city council or a city leader who is very anti-cop because they hold a lot of power. And when it is politically convenient for them, they will take away your integrity, your reputation, your livelihood. And in my husband's case, they're trying to take away his freedom all because they're afraid of the mob and they just wanted to send, you know, this, this statement that, um, or, you know, or they wanted to affirm some wrong narrative about police brutality in a justified use of force case. So there's a lot that police families can learn from what's happening to us. Um, and, you know, if you're outraged by what's happening to us, follow us on Instagram. We post a lot of case updates um, and various ways you can help. Um, and it really is going to take all of us standing together and fighting back against this demonization, this villainization of an entire profession. Um, so we, we're trying to beat them at their own game. So that's why we, we started this Instagram and we're really trying to gather a following. And we've, at least in San Diego, started this like local grassroots movement of people who are just so fed up of people, you know, condoning this combative, resistive behavior, disrespectful behavior towards police. Um, I think that, I, I think that, you know, it's, it sets a really dangerous precedent. No, I couldn't agree more. A uh, couple things. So somebody's asking how they can help. Can you put in the comments, uh, just tag yourself? Um, yeah, and then I think I can do that. Have any of that set up? What's that? Are you accepting donations? Do you have any of that set up or no? Yes, absolutely. So I'll type our Instagram in the comments here in a moment, but please follow us. Tell every cop you know to follow us. Like like I said, we're, we're getting big and we're getting loud. And our intention is just to beat these politicians at their own game of influence. Um, so our Instagram is clear officer Davis. That's D as in David, A-G-E-S. I'll put it in the comments here in a moment. Um, but there's a link in our bio that has um, a donation page where you can make a tax deductible gift to our legal defense fund. So um, all, not all of Matthew's attorney's fees have been covered by his police union. Um, so to date, right, we've paid over $30,000 out of pocket just to advance our case, just to stay in this fight legally so that we can clear Matthew's name and get him back in uniform. So donations of every amount help um, and they're gonna be put to really good use making sure that our legal team is battle ready for court because at this point, if they wanna take us to trial, good. We're gonna obliterate the DA's case in court. Um, well, yeah. Let me ask you a little bit of a personal question. So to the person that's watching this, that their boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife is a police officer, anything you want to say to that person, any advice for that person? Oh my goodness. That's a loaded question. Um, All right. So while you think about your answer on that, I'm also going to answer uh, something that you said earlier. For the police officers that are currently at a police department or sheriff's office, it's not so easy to move. Just know what dynamic you're working under and let that dictate how you police. I'm going to, I'm going to just put that little caveat out there. Yeah. Um, I think that's, you hit that head on. And then in terms of like what I would say to anyone who is dating or married to a police officer, or maybe your son or daughter or friend or cousin or acquaintance is a police officer. It is the most noble, honorable profession. If you ask me, um, in our family, we come from a long line of people who chose service above self. So in Matthew's case, his grandfather and great-grandfather worked for LA County Sheriff's Department. All of our parents are military veterans. And so it's, for us, it's truly in our DNA. Like we don't know any other way to be. And so to anyone else who 
um, has that vocation, I just, I applaud you. Um, and if you know or love someone who's a police officer, I mean, this is probably the most incendiary time for the profession, right? Like everything they are doing is being taken out of context and villainized um, for political purposes. And so my advice is like root down and stay in the fight. If you can be very strategic about what uh, agency they're aligned with. And if not, um, just know that, you know, as if your job wasn't dangerous enough, right? The threat is now in the field and it's also behind you with your leaders, the city officials, as well as politicians. Um, so uh, just be ever vigilant, stay in the fight. And I, I, like I was telling you earlier, this law enforcement network across the country um, has changed our lives. It's really helped to keep our head above water. And so I would say just reach out, stay connected with your law enforcement community because no one knows what we're going through except us, right? Like anyone on the outside, this has no way of understanding the sacrifice we make on a daily basis by sending our loved ones out, you know, to fight crime and to deal with people who are making bad decisions or doing bad things. Um, so just stay really, really closely connected to your law enforcement community and, and we'll get through it together. It's like, a, it's the wild, wild west for the policing profession. It's a crazy time. Yeah, you know what? There's so much truth to all of that. It's so, so true. And then so many times people see an incident and then they think, all right, the headline's over and then it's done. People don't realize. I mean, what was the date of this incident again? The month in year? It was last? May 27th, 2020. Yeah. So, for example, this is going on a year and a half now, basically. And then that's this incident, but just. Yeah. Police... I, I always say it's like there's there's humans behind these headlines. Like, I'm sure for some people it's like fun to just scroll through these headlines or, you know, clickbait headlines. But. We're, we were a newly married couple at the time. Like I said, we both dedicated our, our lives and careers to serving the community. Like we're real people. We're like, we're honest, good, hardworking people. And this divisive narrative that we're seeing at play, it, it upends lives. And, and like I said, it, you know, at first they went after my husband's character and his integrity, and then they took his livelihood. And now they're literally trying to take his freedom all because, you know, of politics and it was an election year and it was two days after george floyd so there's immense uh, consequences how is he doing mentally is he okay he's got a wonderful support system in place and i'm not tooting my own horn like we have such wonderful um family. i'll do it for you it's cool. <laughs> i'm doing my best but it, it really takes a village um and we're people of faith and i i honestly don't think that we could have survived this onslaught without our faith um so he is staying in the fight right that's what they tell law enforcement officers and he's doing a phenomenal job at staying in the fight i've never loved him more i've never been more proud of him um and you know we're we're seeing this thing through to the end um so he's he's not going anywhere he's still standing outstanding all right well i'm happy to be able to give you a voice with our platform and share it on this side of the country and then with everybody that supports us i really appreciate all the support that we have and I know that people are going to continue to support you. Clear Officer Davis on Instagram is the best place for information. Any uh, somebody just put in the comments makes me so emotional. Yeah, it, it should make everybody emotional. It should make everybody aggravated and angry as well. Uh, there's got to be some accountability. The district attorney's office is a disaster out there. Agreed. Um, and if by yeah. standing, yeah, and by us getting loud together, we can we can hold them accountable. We can make enough noise and beat them at their own game. So follow us, get loud with us, um, and we're just we're so thankful that you would give us your platform and give us some time to share our story. It means it means everything. Our pleasure. 
Um, if the district attorney's watching this, I know that they like to follow your stories. I thought that was kind of comical on Instagram. I don't have anything nice to say. I just want them to do their job the way they do their job. I'll leave it at that. Any last minute words? Just thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And to everyone who took the time to listen, follow us, support us, um, you literally are helping to keep our heads above water. So thank you so much. Our pleasure. Uh, look at this comment. Congrats. You just touched hundreds of Floridians with this. I pray for movement. Thank All right. you. You have a good night and God bless. And you have family with us as well. So anything you ever need from our end, don't hesitate, okay? I appreciate that. Have a great night. All right, and then with our closing, as we like to do with our tradition to wrap up our podcast, we like to honor a fallen law enforcement officer who was killed in the line of duty on the date of the podcast. So today is September 14th. We're going to go back to September 14th, 1922, and we're going to honor Deputy Sheriff James Cleveland Jacobs of the Seminole County Sheriff's Office here in Florida. Deputy Jacobs was shot and killed while attempting to arrest a man for stealing a pair of pants. Deputy Jacobs located the man at his home and went to the front door. As he stood at the front door, the suspect opened fire with a shotgun, striking Deputy Jacobs in the chest. The suspect was arrested and convicted of the murder. He was sentenced to death and later hung. His hanging was the only hanging in Seminole County history. Deputy Jacobs was survived by his wife. And let us never, ever forget. Thank you and God bless.